Well, this morning is Reformation Sunday, and that may be a day that, that you think, well, why do we celebrate Reformation Sunday? Why would we do that? The, the last song that we sang came from Martin Luther, and it was written during that time. chorus there, the final words that we sang were, let let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. His truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We sing those words and for some of us, it may be, oh, I, not, that's, I, I, I love that hymn. Or it may be that yeah, we, we should give up some things. Or, yeah, that, that person wandered away from us or they haven't wanted to do with us much since we became Christians. Um, but for others of you, you've given up a whole lot in the sake of letting goods and kindred go. During the time of the Reformation, there was a lot of that. Letting goods and kindred go. And this mortal life also. Those words, this mortal life also. Undoubtedly, there was people who thought of those words as they sat in a prison cell, waiting to be put to death. The time of the Reformation was a time in which God worked in just awesome ways to bring us to the place that we are today. To save many people and to cause His word and the gospel to flourish in Europe and even to the uttermost parts of this world. Incredible time in the history of this world that took place in the beginning of the Reformation, as, as we, we think of October 31st of 1517, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. We're 502 years out from that. 502 years out from that. But there's a lot that took place before that time and around that time and since that time that I believe it's, it's appropriate to take this Sunday, Reformation Sunday, and consider what God did and what it meant and what it's worth to us today. There's five major aspects of the Reformation and that would be that Scripture alone is our authority that we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, and lastly, to the glory of God alone. These are the solace, the five souls that matter to us in incredible ways as far as Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We, we cling to these aspects of of what it is that causes us to be saved and what we have as the authority for truth. On this Reformation Sunday, I want to focus on 
salvation that comes and we learn of it through Scripture alone is our authority. And look at church history in that regard to come to a place of appreciating it this morning. So will you join me in, in prayer as we approach this Reformation Sunday? Lord God, we thank you for this day. 502 years since Luther nailed that 95 thesis on that door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg. Chaos broke out over Europe. And yet you were doing something mighty. Things mattered. They mattered to Luther. It mattered to thousands and thousands of others who lived at that time and who have lived since. I pray that that on this morning that we would come to appreciate it more and more, but find ourselves in a place of appreciating you and what you've accomplished, and most, mostly that we would appreciate your word, cling to it, hold to it, and find ourselves in a place of wanting to know you, to study you, to find ourselves in awe of you, to be instructed by you through the power of your holy word in a new and powerful way as we search your word this morning in the history of the church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most descriptive and powerful passages in scripture that discusses the preeminence of God's Word, the authority of God's Word, comes from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And you can find it there within your bulletins, there in your handout, if you want to follow along. But the text says this, all Scripture. And when it says all Scripture, it, it means every bit of this. From Genesis through the book of Revelation... Every word, all Scripture, every bit of this is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out by God. It is what you have here within your hands is the exact revelation that God would have for His people. To know Him. To know who you are. To know that you're a sinner. To know that He is holy. To know that you're in desperate need of a Redeemer. Someone to purchase you. Someone to pay the price for your sins. For blood to be shed for you. And the precious blood of Christ was shed for you. Old Testament's pointing ahead to the cross. New Testament so articulates what the cross has accomplished for us. Holy Spirit, gift of the church, things that will take place in the last days and even throughout all eternity. Powerful to know that you're saved by faith alone. By faith in the work of Christ upon the cross alone. These truths we hold so, so dear to us, don't we? To know that I'm not saved based on how well I am living or how well I've lived or what I've accomplished or what I've done. I'm not saved based upon 
what family I came from. I'm not saved based upon whether I'm able to keep myself to the very end. But I'm saved because Almighty God became flesh and He dwelt among us. He perfected all holiness, fulfilled all of the law, kept it perfectly, died on the cross for our sins, every one of them, rose again on the third day, and he said, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's by faith alone that you are saved. These truths we just, oh, it makes it so we can sleep at night, doesn't it? It takes a weight off of us that, that would crush us with despair if we thought that it was dependent upon us. It frees us to the place where there's so much joy in the gospel. There's clarity as far as here is the message. Go forth now and proclaim this message here and even to the uttermost parts of this world because it's the most precious news that you could ever hear. It tells us about a God who's unchanging, who's sovereign, who knows all things, who's holy. It tells us everything we know we didn't know pertained to life and to godliness. This book is something in which we bleed Bible. We love Scripture. We love the truths that are found in Scripture. Because it's the very breathed out Word of God. It's profitable for doctrine. What we believe. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. How should we live? In what ways do we need to be corrected? How could we be molded more into the image of Christ? How might we please Him in the way in which we conduct ourselves on a daily basis? That the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. All that we need to know. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. How to live this life in which we live. How to handle suffering. How to handle depression. How to handle being a dad or being a husband or being a mom or being a wife or being a child or being a part of the church or being in a workplace or being under persecution. How do we do this? How do we have hope and joy in the midst of a world that's surrounded by sin? And hatred for the things of God. Scripture teaches us these things. And it alone is our authority. As evangelicals, as Christians, sola scriptura, scripture alone, can be defined as this. We affirm the inerrant, meaning without error, Scripture to be the sole source of written divine revelation, which alone can bind the conscience. The Bible alone teaches all that is necessary for our salvation from sin and is the standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. We deny that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience. That the Holy Spirit speaks independently of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible or that personal Spiritual experience can ever be a vehicle of revelation. Someone, someone says, like, well, God to me is not like that because this one time I experienced this and this is what I know. We, we look and say, your experience doesn't determine truth. This determines truth. 
The page of Scripture determines truth. This is all that we need to know, but it tells us everything that we need to know that God desires for us to know about Him, about us, and about how we might be saved and how we ought to live. We find the words in the pages of Scripture to be precious unto us as Christians. I want to take you through history to help you understand how we came to this place. God's word was given, was recorded, and written with such incredible accuracy to make sure that God's truth has been kept from the very beginning. You may have people that question the authenticity of Scripture and whether it's, it's truly without error. They may say something like, well, there's so many different versions and some of the versions have differences in it and we recognize that there are different versions. Some versions are better than others. However, we believe that in the original autograph of Scripture that it is without error. The translations that we have before us are trustworthy. They're trustworthy. They may have changed in the way that things have been said from the King James Version to now. But whether it's the King James Version or a more modern translation, it is trustworthy. The changes that are there, the differences in the way that things are written is recorded and it is known. And you could go back and look at the original Greek or the original Hebrew and study it to say like, well, this is what it says in that particular text. We find God's word to be 100% without error and trustworthy. And the enemy in this world in which we live in has done much to try to keep God's word from us. And yet, you're here this morning with Bibles in your lap, holding these truths to be precious to you. Let's look at how this has taken place and ways in which there's been those that have tried to keep this from us. In the year 1215, the fourth letter in council, said this, the secret mysteries of the faith ought not to be explained to all men in all places. For such is the depth of divine Scripture that not only the simple and illiterate, but even the prudent and learned are not fully sufficient to try to understand it. This is what this council said. Saying, you, whether you're simple or illiterate, or whether you have studied a ton, can read, gone to university, have a high education. Nevertheless, you are not able to understand what it says in the pages of Scripture. That was what was being taught and what was determined in 1215. We believe that to be 100% false. And so it was said that it was the priests that were to interpret these things. They alone were to be the ones that studied Scripture. They alone were to be the ones that were to 
speak to the people because the average person or even the above average person could not understand it. In 1382, John Wycliffe completed the translation of Scripture from the Vulgate. The Vulgate was written in the 4th century. It's a Latin translation of the Bible. But Wycliffe translated it from the Vulgate into English. That was an awesome, awesome thing that he did as he completed it in approximately 1382. In 1384, he died from a stroke. But a whole group of people followed him. They're known as the Lollards. They followed Wycliffe. They would read Scripture. They'd meet secretly in the hole of a ship or out in a field or behind closed doors. They'd meet secretly and they would read God's Word to each other. They had to do it secretly because it was not allowed to do that. You were not allowed to read Scripture. You weren't allowed to have translations of Scripture in your own language. You had to do it in secret. And that's what the Lollards did. According to John Fox, the Lollards opposed pilgrimages and the worship of saints. They denied the Roman Catholic teaching of transubstantiation, which means that when you partake in communion, that the bread and the wine actually become in reality the blood, the body and the blood of Christ. And they demanded that the Bible be translated into the English language. That's what the Lollards believed. And they were persecuted in incredible ways. In 1401, a law was passed by King Henry IV called the De Heretico Combrindo, which means regarding the burning of heretics. The law stated that heretics, specifically those who made or wrote books or preached or instructed doctrines in contradiction to the Roman Catholic Church, those who translated Scripture into common languages, among other things, would be punished by being burned at the stake. So if you did this, if you taught like that, if you preached like this, if you spoke God's Word to the people, if you read God's Word, if you translated God's Word, the consequence was that you were to be burned at the stake for doing that. In 1415, John Huss, Czech man, living there in Prague, was burned at the stake. He was a leader in the time of the Reformation or one of the first, even before Luther. After his arrest, he prayed this, I appeal to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses and erring counsels, but on truth and justice. And on July 6th, the 1415, just before he was executed, he said, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies. And then he recited the Psalms as the flames engulfed him. 
flames consuming him. And he's reciting the Psalms as he was there in Prague. Wycliffe, who had completed the translation of Scripture in 1382, died in 1384. The hatred for him and what he did in translating Scripture, so that you could read, so the average person could read, so that the person who wasn't the priest could read, someone who who stood behind salvation that comes by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. They hated him so much for what he had done in translating Scripture, that they took his body that was dead, that had been dead from 1384 to 1428, they pulled his body up out of the ground and they burned it, the bones. The hatred for him was that deep, in which it's, let's pull him up from the ground and let's burn him now, because he ought to be burned. In 1454, The Gutenberg Bible is printed on the newly invented printing presses. Awesome. This changed so much as far as in the history of this world in that Scripture was able to be printed. I think the next greatest thing that has taken place as far as the furtherance of Scripture is the Internet and God's Word being able to go forth on the Internet on sites like Blue Letter Bible and others all over this world. Being able to hear sermons, being able to read things that, for us, we take it for granted because we can go to a local bookstore or have something shipped to us on Amazon. But when you're in China or you're in other persecuted countries, to be able to have God's Word accessible on the Internet, we're able to watch it or read it or hear it, is absolutely precious to them. Thank the Lord for that. Even even though so much of the world means that for evil, God's used it for some good. In 1494, William Tyndale was born. Greek New Testament was printed in 1516. 1517, On October 31st, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. In 1519, seven Lawlers were burned at the stake in Coventry, England. You know why they were burned at the stake? Because they taught their children the Lord's Prayer. They taught their children to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. They taught their kids that. As a result, they were burned at the stake. Six men burned at the stake. One woman was told she could leave because she had the children. But her husband and the other five men were to be killed burned at the stake for this. As the guard's leading her away, he feels within her sleeve a piece of paper, and they take the piece of paper out from her sleeve, and it is the Lord's Prayer. It's the Apostles' Creed. It's the Ten Commandments. And they take her right back, and they burn her too. 
This is what's taking place in 1519. In 1522, Luther's translation of Scripture into German was completed. In 1522, William Tyndale says this, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life, ere many years I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of Scripture than he does. Speaking to a priest. If God, if God makes it so that I could live, if He spares my life, oh, my goal is that the boy that is plowing out in the field, he'll know more Scripture than the priest. Because it will be available to him. He'll be able to read it in English. He'll know more of Scripture than the priest. William Tyndale says in 1522. 1524, Tyndale is forced to flee England as he lives as a fugitive in hiding. He finished translating the New Testament into English in 1525. It's an awesome, awesome thing that he did. You know, 83% of the King James Version of the Bible in the New Testament is directly traced from what Tyndale translated. 83%. 76% of the Old Testament directly translated exactly as Tyndale had it. When we read Scripture, we have much to be thankful for for this man, Tyndale, William Tyndale, who translated Scripture with boldness in hiding into English so that we would have what we have today. In 1531, on July 4th, John Frith, who was Tyndale's friend, was about to be executed. This is what Tyndale wrote to his friend. Your cause is Christ's gospel, a light that must be fed with the blood of faith. If when we, are, we be buffeted for well-doing, we suffer patiently and endure, that is acceptable to God, for to that end we are called. For Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we would follow his steps who did no sin. Hereby we have perceived love that he had laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. Let not your body faint. If the pain be above your strength, remember, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, I, give it, I will give it to you. And pray to our Father in that name, and he will ease your pain or shorten it. Amen. He's about ready to be burned to the stake, and then he was burned right after that. Oh, pray to our Father in that name that he would ease your pain or shorten it. Reading from John Piper's book, talking about the biography of Tyndale. 
he goes on a list of people who also died. He says that Richard Bayfield ran the ships that took Tyndale's books to England. He was betrayed and arrested. Thomas War wrote on December 4th, 1531, that Bayfield, the monk, the apostate, as well as was well and worthily burned in Smithfield. Three weeks later, the same end came to John Tewksbury. He was converted by reading Tyndale's parable of the wicked mammon, which defended justification by faith alone. He was whipped in Thomas More's garden and had his brow squeezed with ropes until blood came out of his eyes. Then he was sent to the tower where he was racked till he was lame. Then at last they burned him alive. Thomas More rejoiced that his victim was now in hell where Tyndale is like to find him when they come together. Four months later, James Bainham followed in the flames in April of 1532. He had stood up during the Mass at St. Augustine's Church in London and lifted a copy of Tyndale's New Testament and pleaded with the people to die rather than deny the Word of God. That virtually was to sign his own death warrant. Add to these Thomas Bilney, Thomas Duskade, John Bent, Thomas Harding, Andrew Hewitt, Elizabeth Barton, and others, all burned alive for sharing the views of William Tyndale about the Scriptures and the Reformed faith. And then the list goes on and on. Fox's Book of Martyrs has person after person after person burned at the stake for their faith. William Tyndale wrote this in 1531, I assure you, if you would stand with the king's most gracious pleasure to grant only a bare text of Scripture, that is, without explanatory notes, to be put forth among his people, like as it put forth among the subjects of the emperor in these parts and of other Christian princes, be it on the translation of what person soever shall please his majesty, I shall immediately make faithful promise never to write more not abide two days in these parts after the same, but immediately to re- repair unto his realm and there most humbly submit myself at the feet of his royal majesty, offering my body to suffer what pain or torture, yea, what death his grace will, so this be obtained. Until that time I will abide the asperity of all chances, whatsoever shall come, and endure my life in as many pains as it is possible or as it is able to bear and suffer. So, King, if you would just make it so that Scripture was translated into English, I will not write one more word and do to me whatever you want to do. I just want Scripture translated into English. I want people to be able to read Scripture. Do it, and then do whatever you want to me. Just make it so that Scripture is translated into English. In 1535, four years later, William Taylor's arrested. And he spent 18 months in prison. This is what Tyndale wrote from prison as winter was coming. I beg your lordship and that of the Lord Jesus that if I am to remain here through the winter, you will request the commissary to have the kindness to send me from the goods of mine which he has a warmer cap, for I suffered greatly from cold in the head, and I'm afflicted by the perpetual catar. 
which is much increased in this cell. A warmer coat also. For this which I have is very thin. A piece of cloth too to patch my leggings. My overcoat is worn out. My shirts are also worn out. He has a woolen shirt. If, if he will be good enough to send it. I have also with him leggings of thicker cloth to put on above. He has also warmer nightcaps. And I ask to be allowed to have a lamp, to have a lamp in the evening. It is indeed wearisome sitting alone in the dark. But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time in that study. In return, May you obtain what you most desire, so only that it be for the salvation of your soul. But if any other decision has been taken concerning me to be carried out before winter, I will be patient, abiding in the will of God, to the glory of the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ, whose spirit, I pray, may ever direct your heart. Amen. To get the heart of this guy, he's in prison. He's approaching winter. He's getting cold. And it's just, can you please send me just a cap? Can you give me some cloth to patch my clothes? There's some thicker leggings there too. If I could just get a coat, if, there's, if you could do this, but, but could you allow me to have a lamp in the evening? Think about that. I'm freezing. But, but could you give me a lamp in the evening. It is indeed wearisome sitting alone in the dark. But most of all, a Hebrew Bible, a Hebrew grammar, in the Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time in that study. I just, I just want God's word. The clothes would be amazing in the lamp, but I mostly want God's word. We don't know if he ever got any of that. But on October 6th, the 1536, William Tyndale was burned at the stake. His last words were this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Lord, just open the king of England's eyes. Because he was a priest, they strangled him first and then they burned him at the stake. Three years later, God answered that prayer, and King Henry VIII ordered an English translation called the Great Bible to be printed and placed in every pulpit in England. How precious is this to you? There, there was a time where they did not want you to understand that you could be saved by faith alone. 
so they wouldn't let you read it. They didn't want you to know that there was no such thing as purgatory or that you didn't need to really pay indulgences because it's not in here at all. Massive fundraiser for the church. Pay indulgences. Get your relatives out of purgatory. You can't understand this. You can't know it because only the priest can know it. We will tell you what it teaches. For them, it was the most dangerous thing ever to get this in the hands of people like you and me. And yet we read it. And we learn all that we need to know about God and about us and about how we could be saved and about how we are to live and about what the future looks like for us and what the church is supposed to be like. A priesthood of all believers. There were those that went to the stake over and over again and were burned alive. Some because they taught their children the Lord's Prayer. You think about that for Think of the hatred for Christ and His Word to burn someone alive for teaching their child the Lord's Prayer. God, help us to teach our children the Lord's Prayer. God, help us to teach our kids what it says in this book. God, help us to feed on it ourselves on a daily basis. I love that when I go in to say goodnight to my son, every night, he is listening to Scripture. As he goes through the Scripture with the youth ministry, in its entirety over two years. Old Testament one night, New Testament the next night. He could play it right there from Blue Letter Bible. Keeps track of where he was at last. Goes through, listens to it, and goes to bed at night listening to God's Word and asking questions of what this means. I love that we could be here on a morning like today and study God's Word. That we could be here and have Bible studies and go through and say, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. And this is where it says it in Scripture. It wasn't that long ago that they couldn't. And yet God did something awesome. Taking a man like William Tyndale, just one of them, who prayed a prayer like, Lord, open the King of England's eyes Three years later, Bible translated almost entirely of what Tyndale had translated in order to be placed in every pulpit with thousands of copies going all over the country and the ones in which we use today. Do you find God's word to be precious like that? Worth that? Think of this man, cold. Can you just give me a cap on my head? Some thicker leggings, coat. But I want a lamp. I just want a lamp 
It's indeed wearisome sitting alone in the dark. Mostly give me God's word. To read that at night under that lamp. Tyndale, without a doubt, became a lamp. A light that shined brightly. For over 500 years now. Listen to what God's word says about God's word. 1 Peter 1.23 Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The seed that we have in God uses it in our hearts to bring us to salvation. To where the plowboy can know more of God's truth, his word, than even the religious leader when the Holy Spirit illuminates that word to him. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word changes us and changes others. You can preach God's word. You can speak God's word. You can tell people God's word. It, it has the ability to change them as it has changed us, hasn't it? It's God's word. His Holy Spirit works through his word, through the proclamation of his word, through the preaching of his word, through the teaching of his word, through the reading of his word, through the listening of his word, to radically penetrate rock-hard hearts and bring us to salvation. It could drive sin out of our lives. His word, have a hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's your word that just makes me treasure you above anything that this world could ever offer. God's word does that. And how much of the church would rather listen to psychobabble and be entertained than to have the preaching of God's word take place on a regular basis? These guys were burned at the stake for the sake of God's word. And some people prefer a comedian than an expositor of God's word. God help the church. God's word's precious. It drives through hearts. You could be here this morning and have a place of being dead in your sins and trespasses. A heart that's as hard as a rock, and you can hear this morning that there's therefore now no condemnation through Christ. You can hear this morning that the blood of Christ covers your sin. You can hear this morning that you're saved by 
grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that you can never boast. It comes by faith. And it is not yourself. That whosoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. And you can sit here this morning and hear these words and say, I need forgiveness. My sins are as scarlet. But God says that he can make it as white as snow. I need that. I need something that I can't make for myself. I need him. I want to not perish. I want to have everlasting life. What must I do to be saved? And it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, on this morning, you can be made a new creation in Christ through the hearing of God's word and the faithful promises that he's given you to where your life radically changes here and for all eternity in the myriads to come, forgiven of all of your sin through the truth that comes through the pages of Scripture that you can read for yourself. You don't need someone else to interpret it for you. Read it. How else do you read, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's you, believes in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. You can read that for yourself and say, I need that, I want that. He alone is the solution for me and how I might be saved. And God can radically change you through that. It's His Word that does that. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist goes on in verse 162 to say, I rejoice at your word as one who finds a great treasure. A great treasure. I'd love a coat. I'd love a lamp. But if you could just give me scripture, that's the most important thing to me. Winter's approaching. If you don't kill me before winter, can I just be a little bit warm? Can I get a lamp? Because it gets super wearisome in the dark. But mostly, can I have this? Can I have scripture? If God's word isn't precious to us like that, it ought to be. As the elders prayed for all of us this morning, John Keane prayed that the Lord would give the saints here at reverence joy. Joy. I pray that that joy grows exponentially as you leave this place loving God's word, desiring to feast on God's word, trusting in his promises, hoping in his sovereignty, loving who he is, And that you'd rejoice at this word as one who finds a great treasure. It's a treasure. You found it. Translated for you. So that you could read it. And have more knowledge 
than the Pope by reading this, loving it, and having the Holy Spirit illuminate to you his word that it might give you joy and comfort and peace and hope in such a magnificent view of God that you worship him with all that is within you and you love him more than the stuff of this world. Treasure him like that. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would ignite such a love for your word and for you that we would find ourselves delighting in it, wanting to spend time with you, wanting to grow in our knowledge of you, wanting to proclaim this word here and even to the uttermost parts of this world, that we'd be like that plowboy who, who hears your word and understands your word and knows the truth, that we understand more than those that were trying to lead the church back then because it's been made plain to us and your Holy Spirit teaches us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody who came into this church on this morning not knowing you, that today would be the day of salvation for them. As only your word can do, may it pierce their hearts, bring them to their knees, and cause them to hope in your shed blood on that cross for their salvation. Incredible work of your resurrection that all of their hope in this life and throughout all eternity would be what you've accomplished for them on the cross. Though their sins may be as scarlet, may they be on this day as white as snow hurled into the depths of the sea, remembered no more. I thank you, Lord, for some of the saints that have gone before us, the way in which you worked in their hearts, the conviction in which you gave them, the relentless conviction that you gave them that made men like us, Whitfield or Wycliffe, and so many others give their lives for the sake of your word that we might know it today. Oh Lord, give us joy. But may it be sourced in nothing other than the precious promises we find in scripture and the glory at which you reveal yourself in the pages of scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.